This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's lifestyle demands the best in wireless. And with Pulse Cellular, you have the best options available. Switch to Pulse Cellular for unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data. Coast-to-coast with no contracts, no credit checks, and no overage fees. One line for $65 or four lines for just $45 each, including hotspot, Wi-Fi calling, and 50 gigs per line. And for all you travelers, we got you covered in Canada and Mexico. Plus, text and data in over 210 countries worldwide. All with the best phones or bring your own that's pretty awesome get the best user experience on mobile at pulsecellular.com if you're a loser tune in and you'll be a winner it's the moranalytics podcast talking buffalo sports yankees wwe 80s music and pop culture and now here's your host patrick moran All right, everyone, how you doing? What's going on? What's up? Welcome to episode 147 of the future award-winning Moranalytics podcast presented today by Paul Cellular. Today is Tuesday, August 27, 2019. Thank you, as always, for listening and for downloading. If you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do so right now. Literally, right now. Do it right now before you do anything else. Coming up on today's episode, I had one more interview in the can that I saved from my time recently in Buffalo, and I'm going to air that one for you today. I had an opportunity, the exciting opportunity, to sit down with somebody that I respect just about as much as anyone in the sports entertainment business today. Michelle Girardi Zumwalt, a senior producer at Pagula Sports and Entertainment, and a multi-time Sports TV Emmy Award winner. I sat down with her for a nice chat. And unlike the Wing series that I did recently with most of my guests when I was in Buffalo, I actually met up with Michelle at a, at a Tim Hortons in Amherst to get some coffee, sit down there, and tape a fun conversation. And by the way, props to the good people at Tim Hortons for accommodating us there. They gave us everything that we needed to do the interview. Michelle and I had a great chat about a lot of things. I know about a lot of her work. I already knew about a lot of that, some of her accomplishments, which again, has literally won her sports Emmys. But I wanted to get to learn more about her personally and give you guys a chance to do the same. You know, that's kind of what I do on this podcast. I have people on and we don't just talk straight sports. I kind of like to peel back that curtain a little bit and give fans an opportunity to know more about that person. That's exactly what we did. We talked about her growing up in Western New York going to Narden for high school, what got her interested in sports, in sports journalism, and journalism, period. We talked about her going to a smaller school for college, St. John's Fisher, why she went there, what led to her moving to New York City after college, how she originally got her job at NFL Films, 
and how the opportunity came about for her to be able to come back home, so to speak, to Buffalo with Pagula Sports. And of course, we're going to talk about some of the biggest projects that her fingerprints have been quite literally all over, including that Buffalo Bills embedded series that fans have been watching this summer on YouTube that's been so fantastic. And of course, the huge ESPN 30 for 30 a few years ago, the Four Falls of Buffalo, quite possibly one of, if not my favorite, ESPN 30 for 30 of all the ones that I've seen. It was just so emotional to watch and brought back so many memories. And again, Michelle was one of those storytellers that made that all possible. So we talk about all that stuff, and then we wrap up with the fun little mini lightning round like I do with so many of my guests. It's great stuff, something different with, again, somebody that I admire and that I respect about as much as anyone. I'll play that for you in just a minute. Before that, though, and uh, all right, so honestly, I've struggled with whether I wanted to talk about this on the podcast because it's it's just very scary. But you know what? Someone out there may be able to relate to it. And by the way, this is a completely serious story. There's no sarcasm, no humor intended with this whatsoever. I want to tell you a story because uh, it's something that a lot of football you know, not just football, a lot of sports parents out there listening in general, they've either already experienced this or they're afraid that they're going to experience it someday. Last Friday was one of, for me, not just for me, for other people too, my family, of course, one of the scariest nights of my life, okay? And also at the same token, it was one of the most blessed and fortunate nights of my life as well. Let me set the scene here a little bit, okay? So last Friday night, my son, who is a junior linebacker at Braden River High School down here in Bradenton, Florida, he was making his first ever varsity start at linebacker. Now, obviously, as a football parent, and I'm a sports guy, so probably more than the average person, I'm really excited, hyped, stressed out, anxiety, the whole shebang when it comes to my son and watching him play football. And I've watched him play from the youngest levels of Little Loop all the way through Little Loop onto freshman high school ball, JV ball before getting called up to varsity about halfway through last year, his sophomore year as a backup to make it his first start on varsity. It was a very proud and again, very stressful feeling for me. Uh, my wife and I are down here in Florida, not entirely, but admittedly in large part because of the opportunity for him to play football, high school football in Florida. I feel like I don't really need to explain that to people who know high school football in Florida. Everyone knows it leads to better college opportunities. There's better recruiting down here. It's just better football. It's one of, and quite possibly the best state in the entire United States for high school football. But anyway, getting uh, off track here. So we're hyped. Last Friday night, the crowd's hyped. It's the home opener, the season opener. They were scheduled to have a kickoff classic the week before, but it got Quite literally rained out two weeks ago. It rained in Florida every single day and the fields were unplayable. So this is the season opener. Easily a couple thousand fans in the crowd, like there always is with Friday Night Lights down here. That's just the way it is in Florida. It's a, Again, it's a different brand of high school football down here. And I got to say, early on, my son, he's playing excellent. He's got a handful of tackles. He had a quarterback pressure that led to an interception. He's really feeling it. I'm hearing his name over the PA system several times. It's just shaping up to be a great night, a great varsity starting debut. And just like that, you know how it goes with sports and, and I suppose in life too. Just like that, about five or so minutes left before halftime, everything changes. We were punting. 
and he's on the punt coverage team. During the return there where the tackle was made, a kid uh, inadvertently struck my son in, in the side of his helmet with a knee, and my kid went down and didn't get back up. You know, a handful of seconds passed, nothing. Then a handful of minutes, nothing. And you could tell it was serious at this point, okay? Trainers from both teams are out there, and they're out there quickly. Coaches, and there's nothing going on. There's no movement. The crowd, definitely silent, which only adds to my anxiety, of course. I'm watching, and I knew it was him, by the way, right away. I'm watching the play, so I knew it was him that went down. I'm like, get up, get up, get up. Doesn't get up. I'm watching a crowd of people around him. It's not moving. It's horrifying. It's beyond horrifying. Horrifying is a terrible cliche adjective to describe what I'm feeling. My wife as well, by the way. Also, my daughter, who she lives in Buffalo, but she drove down with her boyfriend all the way from Buffalo, like 1,300 miles to have a week-long Florida vacation and also in large part to see her little baby brother get his first varsity start. So administrators near the press box, they know who I am. They know who my wife is. And somebody comes up and tells my wife that, because she's panic-stricken, of course, just like I am, that she could go on the field. So her and my daughter, they do that. I don't, because I'm literally freaking out at this point. I don't want to see anyone. I don't want anyone to see me, I should say, freaking out near the field and panicking, especially potentially my son. I don't know what's going on with him, if he's alert or anything. And him seeing me freaking out probably would only make things worse. So I I decide that I'm going to stay in the sands. A handful of moments go by, nothing, still nothing. By this point, it's been over... 15 minutes right now, okay? And he still hasn't been taken off the field or nothing. I'm like crippled with fear at this point. I'm sure anyone listening, by the way, you'd feel the same. You you don't know. It's unknown. Is he going to get up? He hadn't gotten up and it's been 15 minutes. Then it's like nearly 20 minutes. I can't take it anymore at this point. I do finally head on down to the field. I see a stretcher being brought out. That's when I'm like pretty much losing it, okay? I see an ambulance coming from the streets with the siren on coming out. And to do the gate near the corner of the end zone. And at this point, I can't articulate what I'm feeling at the time. I really, I really can't. I, I am only can hope that you can imagine he gets put on a stretcher. He gets put into an ambulance and they're taking him to a local hospital. I tried again, I'm trying to keep my calm, but I'm not doing a very good job of it. Ready to cry, losing my shit. I, I, you know, thank the Lord. The head coach from Red River, he comes up to me, calms me down, tells me everything that's going on. And that at this point, it's more precautionary than anything else. So what had happened on the play was this. He took a knee to the head and knocked his lights out completely out for a good 10 seconds or so. He, he was out. He comes to, and he's surrounded by trainers and people around him. And at that point, he started to panic, which probably any 16-year-old that just had his lights literally knocked out for the first time in his life would do. Probably any adult too, but especially a 16-year-old kid. He started hyperventilating and, and As a paramedic would tell me later on, he was quite literally paralyzed with fear. You know, you hear that term all the time, paralyzed with fear. Well, in this case, he was. He was paralyzed with fear because of his his breathing. He couldn't stop breathing hard and panicking. He couldn't move his lower body and his hands were twitching real bad. So at that point, they had to be treated very serious. You know, it was precautionary. And a side note, by the way, what an incredible job that the trainers from both Braden River and Largo did treating my son when he was out. I, I can't thank them enough. I, I really do. I owe them a huge debt of gratitude for that. But anyway, long story short, through the through the grace of God, he's fine. He got his clock clean, completely clean. But besides a very sore jaw, nothing else. He was taken to the hospital. They did a series of tests and he was fine. Again, other than a very sore jaw, about 90 minutes or so after being carted out of the stadium, 
prayers all over the place, dead silence there. This crazy little bastard wanted to go back to the field after the doctor was done looking at him at the hospital and watch the rest of the game from the sidelines. And honestly, that's exactly what we did. So like I said earlier, in that regards, it was also one of the most fortunate and blessed nights of my life because I sat there as a parent wouldn't stand, fearing the worst, a nasty concussion, paralysis, worse. You, j- you just never know. And it's so freaking horrifying. Honestly, I would not wish that 25 minute span on my worst enemy. It was life altering type of anxiety. I've never felt that before in my life. And through the grace of God, again, he's fine. He had zero lingering concussion symptoms. He's, he's, uh, passed the baseline test. He'll be back in no time. In fact, he might be practicing by the time you hear this. I know that how extremely lucky we are. It was a scary moment, but we're extremely lucky too. And I know that there's other kids and other parents out there who might be listening to this podcast that haven't been so lucky. And now more than ever, especially after experiencing this myself, my heart truly goes out to anyone out there who's had to endure their child having a major injury. It's it's a thought that I just, I don't ever want to have to relive that again. Although I'm being realistic here, as long as he continues to play football, it's a crazy sport. It's a violent sport. So it's always just one insane play away from happening again. I know that. But again, I'm blessed and I was horrified at the same time. So anyway, that was my Friday night last weekend. I could have thought of better things to do with my weekend than have the living shit scared out of me by my son playing his first varsity high school football game, or at least as a starter anyway. So on to much more fun stuff. Let's circle back here. Let's get today's podcast going. Here it is. It's my interview with the very lovely, very talented, very funny. By the way, off air, far funnier than you could ever imagine. I mean, she was making me laugh my ass off when we weren't taping. Michelle Girardi Zumwalt. Let's do it. All right, my guest today, and I've been looking forward to this one for quite a while now, is an Emmy Award-winning producer whose fingerprints have been all over tons of wonderful projects, ranging from Hard Knocks to the ESPN 30 for 30, Four Falls of Buffalo, to the Bills Embedded series, much more. She is the senior producer at Pagula Sports and Entertainment, Michelle Girardi Zumwalt. What's going on, Michelle? How you doing? I'm kind of wondering where my wings are. I thought that was part of the deal. <laughs> I'll tell you what. We, we took, we did, I'm winged out. I'm winged out. That's I, not possible. I don't think I could do any more. As people are hearing this, they're like, yeah, right. But we are actually, and this is something different. We are at a Tim Hortons out here in Amherst taping this. And with some coffee, not wings. Very classy-like. It is very By the classy. fireplace. The ambiance is beautiful, isn't yeah, it? Fireside I mean, chat. We got some brown, comfy leather seats going on, a little ESPN in the background. Yeah, the, the appearance of a fireplace, even though it's actually not. Well, it is on. 82 degrees out. <laughs> it has been, I'll tell you what, I've been here a couple weeks. Buffalo in the summer really is beautiful, man. It's, uh, it's Perfect. been gorgeous. It's been almost, I mean, we had that one day where it rained really bad, but outside of that, it's been, it's been really good. You're, uh, so we, we're talking about wings. I don't want to talk a lot about wings. You're 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 a Duff's girl, though. I, you do like Duff's, right? Of course I do. I mean, they I, not just because they are an official sponsor, but they're good wings. 
They are. They're good wings. They're the ones that I grew up on because my dad was a huge Duff's fan and he used to go to the original one on Miller's Port. That was like his post drinking spot when he was like a, you know, a young man. <laughs> so he, he always talked up Duff's. So that was our, our joint at home. I think that Duff's in the Western New York market can get kind of a bum rap. And I say that because not that they're not good. They're good. It's because they're famous. They're almost too famous. Like Anchor Bar, same deal. And by the way, I, for, on the record, Duff's is way better than Anchor Bar. No disrespect to Anchor Bar, but that's, that's a fact. But anyway, my point is, because they're so famous and people from the outside who come in are always like, oh my God, I get here and I get to go, I got to go to Duff's. I think that kind of cause it causes a little bit of natural resentment among Buffalonians for that reason. You know what I mean? Because they're like the Dallas Cowboys or the Yankees exactly. of Buffalo chicken wings. Exactly. That's what it is. But they are good, man. So is this Tim Horton's coffee, which is funny. You know, on Twitter, and I'm going to admit this, I'm calling myself out. I'm one of those guys. Every time I come back to Buffalo, I go to Tim Horton's and I complain about something. I'm like, uh, there's no napkins in my bag, which there are no napkins in the bag when you go to a Tim Horton's drive-thru. <laughs> Sometimes the coffee tastes amazing one day, and then you go to the next place, and then it tastes like something completely different. I get frosted donuts, and they get smushed. The frosting gets smushed into a bag. So anyway, I'm always going on Twitter and complaining about it. But then the next morning, where am I? Back in the drive-thru line at Tim Hortons. So I said, you know what? This would be a good spot for us to hook up. Never had a bad experience over here. <laughs> Never. Sure, 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 sure. All right. So the purpose of this podcast is I want to give fans an opportunity. We're going to talk about your career, some of the amazing things you've done. But I also want to give fans an opportunity to know a little bit more about yourself that maybe you don't get that opportunity when you do other shows and interviews because usually that's talking about the the piece that you're working on at that time so I kind of want to go back to the beginning a little bit you are western New York born and raised correct correct where are you from exactly well, I was born in Buffalo in the city, and then we moved to Cheektowaga when I was like four years old. So I lived mostly there up until I went to college at St. John Fisher. Did I'm a you, Cheektowaga girl. Cheektowaga girl. Were you into sports as a kid? What were you into? What were the things that, in, that enticed you when you were a little kid? Well, baseball was like my first love, and I just wanted to be my older brother. I have an older brother who's two years older than me. He's a big Yankees fan. My dad is a Mets fan. So I was a Yankees fan because I had to be like my brother. I would try to, he was pitching and I would try to pitch like him. And I, was, I had no idea about the mechanics. And it was ridiculous. <laughs> and my dad would tell me, you know, choke up on the bat. And one time I actually like put the bat to my throat. I had no idea what he was talking about. Choke up on it. What does that mean? And I tried, he tried to teach me not to throw like a girl, as, as he said. Um, but I loved baseball was my sport. And then right around the time I turned eight years old, the bills got really, really good. And that got very exciting. Definitely good timing. You feel yeah. bad sometimes. And by the way, we're going to skip around. There's no set chronological thing with this interview that we're doing. And we also talked before we started taping. I said that I tend sometimes when I have a guest on that I have not had on before that I don't know a lot about that I tend to almost do too much homework where it's not fun for me because I kind of know what you're going to say before you say it. Not the case with you. By design, I was a slacker with my homework because I want to learn more about you just the same as the people that are listening right now. High school, you went to Narden. That much I do know, right? That's true, yes. How was that experience for you? I mean, it was tough. It was the academics there are sure. rigorous. It was, um, it was an amazing experience, though. I can't imagine a better school. It, it, it was just, I loved it. I feel so proud and 
that I got to go there and uh, grateful that my parents could afford it at the time, which I mean, now it's got to be almost 20 grand a year or something. I'm not even sure. But yeah, it was amazing. Were you into writing as a kid by this point when you were in high school? How much were you into your writing at that point? How serious did you take journalism even as a kid? So as a kid, I was writing all the time. I used to get notebooks and just fill them. I would just make up stories. I had had like various novels, I guess you would say, going just long stories that I would write and write and write and uh, love to do it. My mom always said I should be a writer. I was in, you know, I just had a really great English teacher in fourth grade and fourth and fifth grade who was just really inspired me. And I was writing poetry and she really believed in me and encouraged my writing. When I got to high school, I wasn't so sure. My mom wanted me to do the school newspaper. And I think it was sort of like, well, I don't know. Like I've been working on this. I don't know what I want to be or what I want to do. So I actually didn't really follow pursue journalism in high school, interestingly. Really? Still writing, though. I love my English classes. I love doing a lot. of. I got more into creative writing in high school and like focusing that way. Um, and then when I went to college, I got back into journalism again. So. Now, you went, you mentioned this, you went to St. John's Fisher for college. Mm-hmm. I like to ask all my guests this. Why did you go to St. John's Fisher for college? And were there other schools that you at least were considering going to? Or was it for you, you were pretty much locked in. You knew that's where you wanted to go. Well, my parents probably very smartly did not let me have huge dreams about going anywhere I wanted for college because, you know, this is almost 20 years ago now, which I can't believe <laughs> it was still expensive. You know, it was it was getting to the point where it's ridiculously expensive and my parents weren't wealthy and they didn't want me to take out a million student loans and have that debt hanging over my head to start out my life. And I did not agree with them or appreciate it at the time, but now I'm very grateful that they didn't just say, yeah, sure, go wherever you want and you can take out loans and, you know, you'll figure it out later. So my options were a little bit more limited when I applied for colleges. Um, You know, I applied to all the local schools. St. John Fisher was actually sort of a safety school. I didn't really think about going there. Um, I really wanted to go to Boston College, but I got waitlisted, so... Yeah. Uh, you know, had I got, I didn't even, and I didn't, you know, you could pay to stay on the wait list and see if you get in. I didn't bother because my parents were like, listen, even if you get in, you're probably getting limited scholarship money because you're on the wait list. Like you're, it's going to cost you, you know, what, $35,000 a year or whatever it was at the time. And it's just, it's not worth it. They were like, if you want to go somewhere, the only program in the country, like a certain biology program or something like that, that you can't engineering that you can't do at a different school, that's different. You want to study English? You can study English at UB. Right. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but you brought up something that really resonates with me. Yep. You got waitlisted at another college. Isn't it kind of crazy how things work out that way? You know, it's, it's very rarely for somebody, whether it's yourself or lots of people that I've had on this podcast is rarely a smooth road with no bumps in it. And it's just easy success from day one. You get to go to your dream college. You get to have your dream job. When you're 22, 23 years old, life just doesn't work out that way. I remember when Adam Schefter was on the podcast and yeah, he's this great big star, man, but he got rejected at like three different schools. He ended up going to Michigan after he got rejected from his three dream schools. The job, he ends up obviously at ESPN, but he worked for 20 years in Denver and and he only went to Denver because he got rejected at a bunch of other places before finally he got a job at Denver. Only ended up at ESPN because NFL Network essentially didn't want to pay him anything. They were offering him like a low ball contract and that kind of forced his hand to go to his pants. So when you say that you, you know, you got waylisted, it, it really resonates with me. Things obviously have worked out for you in your career, but looking back, that probably sucked at that time, right? 
Yeah. Oh, and I, uh, my story is not, I wouldn't say similar to his because he's a huge star, but in, in a similar way. Well, so, also, are, so are you in your own way. Well, yeah, in my own mind. Uh, <laughs> no, I said your own way, not your mind. <laughs> my kids think I am. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I got waitlisted there. I got waitlisted at U of R, which I was very bitter about. I, I just thought, uh, I was so mad I didn't get in there because I was, I had very good grades. I went to a very competitive school. I wasn't a great test taker. That wasn't my thing. I was more of like the creative mind. Writing, you know, doing that kind of thing was great. Taking a, taking a test, being timed, no. Like, that's just not, I guess, where my, one of my strengths. So I didn't, I didn't do terrible on the SATs, but I didn't do well enough. And I didn't get into U of R. I got waitlisted. I was very mad about that. You were a communications major, right? Correct. Yes. Journalism at St. John's Fisher. How was that experience for you? What did you do while you were at college that would ultimately really you honed your craft while you're at at college so to speak what things did you get involved with when you were there yeah so there we actually there was a student newspaper when i was a freshman that had been there you know been part of the school called the pioneer since like the 1950s you know whenever the school was founded and it because of i don't know if it was student disinterest or disorganization it actually went like went away at the end of my freshman year um and so i think it was was it must have been the beginning of junior year we a group of students got together and brought it back and we ended up calling it the Cardinal Courier. We changed the name of the paper, which made all of the alums very, very angry that we wanted to change the name of, pa- of the paper. But we thought it was a fresh start and we wanted it to be different and modern and, you know, eventually have like a digital edition. And this is what, 2002, 2003 at the time. So we were trying to look forward and make the paper something that students wanted to read and wanted to be a part of. And so that really focused me more on journalism. But again, I had a really great writing teacher and I was doing a lot of creative writing and I just could not get over. I love journalism. I love writing, but I really like being creative and being able to, you know, have a little more freedom with what I'm doing and not just report the facts. Right. Now, this is where when I said research wise, where I'm going to be learning things about you for the first time that I didn't know already. I know after college, you went to New York City, correct? Correct. You joined the New York City Bills Backer Bar Club, you wrote weekly columns for the backers website. Before we talk about that, because I'm sure that triggered a niche, you know, for you to tell stories about your hometown team that maybe you weren't able to do while you were in college. But why did you end up in New York City? That's the first thing I want to know. How did that happen? So I just, I wanted to move to, I mean, who doesn't want to live in New York City, right? So I started out, I went, I did an internship the second semester of my senior year at the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press, like hardcore journalism in, okay. down in D.C. And at the same time, my college roommate, my you know best friend, moved to New York and started like her career there in, in like the communications field. So after I was done with my internship, I loved it, but I still felt that need like I want to be I would rather be in magazine writing even or book publishing. Like I was just trying to think of something else a little bit more creative than just doing straight, straight journalism. So. Um, I, she already had a place in New York, so we got one together and she, you know, it was great having someone with a head start there who could find us a place. Cause obviously it's difficult to do. Um, so yeah, I went there kind of trying to pursue either magazine or book publishing. And you had something to do with finding this chapter of, of the Bill's Backer Club or was it already established? No, it was already established by, uh, Matt Cable and Matt Sirecco, two great guys who are still dear friends of mine. That's right. And I know the names now that you said that. I also saw, I can't remember what I was reading, but some of the Philadelphia Bills backer chapter. Did they have anything to do with you? Yes. That's you, correct? That one's, that one's mine. Tell me about that. <laughs> Tell me about that. So, yeah, we, uh, so I got the job at NFL Films. We're kind of jumping around then. So I got the job at NFL Films and was moving to Philadelphia. 
And there was no chapter in right in the city of Philadelphia. There was a chapter like north of Philadelphia, like a 20 minute drive. But I was living right in the city. And I was like, I'm not going to drive 20 minutes. Like when I was in New York, you take the subway, you'd get drunk at McFadden's and, sure, that's and it. you know, <laughs> grab some food and stumble back. And then yep. uh, I was just like, I'm, I'm living in this like awesome city with bars everywhere. I want to be able to walk and go and enjoy myself. So I got in Bill's message boards and I hooked up with another guy named Joe who had also recently moved and was thinking about starting a chapter. And we got together and um, there was a McFadden's in Philadelphia so we kind of had connections because of the McFadden's in New York, which is where the Bills backers of New York City was up until this year. They're moving now. Um, yeah. And we, we we started our own chapter. And the guy who was the founder of the original like Philadelphia Bills backers got really angry that we were carpet bagging and coming in <laughs> and trying to take his people away. And I was like, listen, we're it's another option. If people want to, it's more convenient for them to go to your bar. Great. And, you know, we just want a place in actual Philadelphia. So we called ourselves the downtown Philadelphia Buffalo Bills Packers to distinguish ourselves from the original Philadelphia. <laughs> Even though downtown is not really a thing in Philadelphia, it's center city, but I had just moved there. I had no idea. Like I always think downtown Buffalo. So that was my frame of reference. So whatever. <laughs> I'll tell you what I, I was at your right. Big fat is it and moved. You had, I wish everyone, every Bills fan could have experienced one football game going to McFadden's. Because it was pretty wild. I got to do it one time. Yeah, it was amazing. And I was actually back there because the Sabres were in the Winter Classic, uh, you know, two New Year's, New Year's Eves ago when the Bills made the playoffs. That's so right. I was back at McFadden's and we had our camera there and it was amazing. Yeah. You mentioned, or actually not you mentioned, when it comes to like your sports fandom, before we start talking about NFL films, it's safe to say that being a big Bills fan kind of helped you get into your career. I kind of liken it to, you talked about message boards and, and writing for a website. Like Sal Capaccio, it was the same type of way. He, he did some sports stuff, but he was a very big member of these Bill's message boards and he really helped establish his brand by being on them. And it kind of feels like that same route went with you, a, a li- at least a little bit, right? A little bit in the sense that it really made me writing about the bills made me want to work in football. I didn't know that I wanted to be like a lot of guys like sale, like knew he always wanted to be in sports. And I'm sure a lot of the people who listen to your podcast are trying to figure out how to get into media or like, I always wanted to be a sports writer. I always wanted to be a sports announcer, whatever it is. I didn't know. I wanted to do something creative and fun that I, that I was passionate about. And until I moved away from Western New York, I realized then that my passion was Buffalo and really was the bills. And we did all these events. We had Marv Levy come do a book signing in New York and we were always kind of planning things and had an email chain that still goes to this day, even though only two or three of them are still living in New York, um, you know, about the different events we want to do with the New York Bills backers. So that was really what, where I kind of established this is what I want for my career. And the writing samples certainly helped when I went down to NFL films. But that was just luck where I had a job in New York. I was trying to get into still into publishing or something. I got rejected from Random House after, at a job interview. Um, and like right after that happened, a coworker at the job I was working at just to pay the bills had a former college roommate who worked at NFL films. I gave her my resume. It was one of those things where you're like, yeah, okay, we'll see what happens. You never hear anything back. At the same time, NASCAR films opened up in North Carolina and stole like a dozen people from NFL films, including their like coordinating producer, like their head producer. So they had a bunch of openings, a bunch of full-time openings. It was perfect timing to get in. I was going to ask you that, how that opportunity came about to get yeah, into NFL films. Total luck, total luck. And just, uh, 
serendipity, I guess. You know, it was just the right place at the right time. I never knew that you didn't always want to be in sports. It feels like you were born to tell sports stories. It feels that way now, yeah, but I I did not know that it that it was going to be sports. Yeah, I think the one when I was in college and I became like the editor of the newspaper and everything, um our regular photographer wasn't available for one of the Saturday night football games and I went down and with and you know in college everybody does everything and I photographed a football game and it was like the rush of that was like nothing I'd ever felt before being on the field, being right there following the action. And that was sort of when I first got the bug to think maybe like, you know, working in sports would be cool. Now you would spend 10 years at NFL films working on projects like packaging the Buffalo Bills season highlight um, packages together, the NFL history of the Buffalo Bills. That was you. And I we're getting fancy here, man. You're also a producer on several shows like sound effects, hard knocks, Three sports Emmys? Is that right? Three, yes. Three national sports Emmys and then seven New York sports Emmys. And Four Falls of Buffalo was nominated. That's my asterisk because I feel like it should have won. It should be four national sports Emmys, but you know. So I'm sitting sitting here at Tim Hortons on a Buffalo summer weekend afternoon talking to a multi-time Emmy winner. I love it. I feel nah, I feel like a star, man. Forget everyone else I've had on this podcast. <laughs> Let's talk about that 30 for 30 because, you know, up until anything else we've talked about, hardcore fans will know, but some casual fans might not. But I feel like anyone who's a Buffalo Bills fan by now has seen that film. It was just absolutely incredible. I read that you were the only Western New York producer that had that worked on that. Is that correct? That's true. That's very oh. true. Yeah. And it, that that was... By design, um, Ken Rogers, who has directed several 30 for 30s at this point, um, you know, he's one of the, I, I don't know, I think he's a coordinating producer now at NFL Films. Mm-hmm. Um, he brought me into the project. It was something that he had thought about for a long time. And when ESPN finally greenlit it, he came, to, I think it came to me before it was greenlit. And then it was like a year later, I think, by the time they finally agreed to do it. And he came back and was like, all right, you got to be part of this, which was amazing. And your part, more specifically, was Scott Norwood, correct? One of them, yes. I mean, that was probably my biggest contribution to the film was getting him to agree to do the interview. That was a great interview. That guy, I, man, you would, uh, how do you say it? Because he was the guy that missed the kick, you would think a lot of Buffalo fans would have hate in their heart for the guy, but I'll never forget it. You know, I'm a little bit older than you, so I, I remember that Super Bowl, and I'll never forget City Hall the ovation he got and moved in the tears and just to relive that in the documentary was just absolutely incredible. I mean, he's a guy you could just, you could feel that emotion coming from him. It was, it was really beautiful to, uh, to watch. What else did you have to do with that film more specifically? I, I, so I did a lot of the interviews. Um, I did Andre Reed Reed's interview at the hall of fame that year. That was the year he got inducted. Okay. Um, I interviewed Jim. I went to his football camp. I did uh, Bill Polian's interview. Um, Marv Levy. I did a couple shoots with him. I didn't do his main interview though. Um, but several of the other guys I'm probably, for- Oh, when uh, Thurman and Bruce Watt rewatched Super Bowl, the Super Bowls in their living yes. room. Yes, I was there for that shoot as well. Okay, okay. Yes, uh, did I did Thurman's interview. I did I did a lot, you know, most of the main interviews. Well, there's only a couple that I actually didn't do. So Bruce and Thurman together watching that, that was that was a treat to watch. That, that was kind of That's crazy. a very cool, that's like a career moment when it's like, what, is, what are some of the coolest things you've ever done? And it's like sitting there. And it's funny because now um, Thurman especially, I feel like he's a friend 
you know, we, we've seen each other so much. We work together so much and hang around. And his wife, Patty, is amazing. And we got to do that Beyond Blue and Red with him last year when he got his jersey number retired. So it's just it's funny, like, to look back and think, like, now I'm like, hey, all these guys cell phone numbers and like I can text these guys anytime I want. And we when we see each other, we give each other hugs. And it's like, are those ever like pinch yourself moments for you? Because you talked about it. you grew up, you're a big Bills fan and you happen to become a Bills fan at the perfect time when, when they became good. You didn't suffer through those mid 1982 and 14 seasons where like they couldn't pay, they couldn't pay people to come to the games. You you became a fan because of your age right at the right time. So these people like Jim and Thurman and Andre and Bruce that you grew up as fans. Now you're an adult, you're in your career, you're killing it, you're winning Emmys and you're working with them on projects. Is that like a pinch yourself moment for you? Yeah, it's funny. I wouldn't say it's pinched myself so much anymore, but it's more like just how funny life works out. Like anytime I'm like paling around with Steve Tasker, I'm like, this is so funny. Like who would have thought? I never take it for granted, I guess. I always just think, because they're just people and they wouldn't want me to be like, oh my God, that's amazing. I get to sit with you. You know, they're just, they're cool guys. But it's just, it's funny to look back and think I never thought, especially with Scott Norwood, he was like, you know, I was I always said like the Kaiser Soze of my childhood, this like who is this guy, this phantom who like ruined everything. And now like he's just a really sweet man and a great guy. And like he'll text me sometimes to see how I'm doing. And he's just it's just so interesting. I had a moment this week, actually. We were in New York um, on a Sabres trip and Marty Baron and Rob Ray and J.P. Dumont were there. We got trapped in New York. Our flights got canceled. We were at the Mets game on Wednesday, found out our flights were going to be canceled. So we're scrambling to get a rental car. It took Marty Buran two and a half hours to get it. We're all like soaking wet from the rain, like crammed in their luggage everywhere. Rob Ray is driving us home. And I'm just like, who would have thought like when I'm watching Rob Ray, like beat the crap out of people in the early nineties. And now he's like chauffeuring me across the state in the middle of the night, like my hero. (laughs) And we're all just there complaining and like laughing. And just, it was so funny. I feel like I did a few minutes ago, like a poor job of articulating what I was trying to say about Scott Norwood. I, I just think you did a brilliant job of, showing how the fans felt about him, but equally important how he feels about Buffalo even decades later. That's the part of the whole film. I mean, I loved everything about it, but that part for me was the best part of the film, the story with him and just how you you just, you could see it. You could see it in his face. You know what I mean? The pain and the love all in one. I just, it, it really truly blew me away. It really did. Yeah. And he didn't come back here for a long time. It took him a long time to come back. But when he did, like he still feels the love and talking to him, he never expressed any sort of uh, concern or wariness. Yeah. Wariness about Buffalo. He just he, he always felt the love from this community and he returns it. Speaking of this community, June 2015, you joined Pagula Sports and Entertainment after spending a decade, a little more than a decade with NFL Films. They're looking for a senior producer. You're the hometown girl. You move away. You become big in the industry. Uh, Emmy Award winning producer. A lifelong Bill Sabres fan. It just felt like a match made in heaven. Like you would have been crazy to not do it, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. And well, it's funny. When the job first posted, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm qualified for this. They should have named it after you. What are you talking about? No way. Well, the posting was a little different than with the job. I kind of made the job my own. My boss gave me the freedom to do that. He was, he was very cool about that. But it, it first was very like broadcast truck oriented, which is not my experience. I'm like the creative field producer, mm-hmm. you know, editor. Um, so I wasn't sure. And then 
it was one of those things where I called a contact at the bills about something else. And he was like, hey, I've been meaning to talk to you, actually. You know, we have this opening, right? I think you would be perfect for it. And he was explaining more about what the job actually was. It's just another one of those good timing, like serendipitous things. And he's like, he's like, I know, you know, Mark, who's my boss, he's hiring for the job. Send me your resume and, you know, we'll, don't worry about what the job description says. Like, I think you're the absolute perfect per- person for this. For all your so. life experiences that you had up until that point, was it an easy decision to be able to take that position and move back to Buffalo? Or was it a little harder than somebody might think? No, it was pretty easy. It yeah. was uh, it was interesting because I had two kids at that point. Um, they were, gosh, they must have been four and two, I think, at the time. Um, and I miss my parents. You know, it, it, my brother had just moved back from Boston like a year or two earlier. And so he was back here. And it's tough raising kids kind of on an island where you're not around any family. So that was hard. And I was only working three days a week in NFL films um, because I had kids. So they allowed me to take, you know, a few days off. But I still I felt like my work was getting my workload hadn't necessarily changed too much. And it was like I was working the hours, but not necessarily getting paid. And like I should maybe go back full time. And, you know, it was like kind of a good moment where I was kind of deciding, like, where am I going with my career? Because I'm not advancing in NFL films because I took a step back to have kids and, and focus on being a mother. Am I going to go full time at NFL films or then this opportunity kind of came along again? Um, not that I wasn't full time. I was still considered full time, but it wasn't 40, you know, 40 hours a week, right. even though normally it was more like 60 hours a week. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, anyway, I'm rambling. But uh, rambling is fun. Yeah, that's, I my just fa- yeah. That's my favorite part of these <laughs> podcast episodes. I just I love it, man. Just get on a tangent and go. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. It just it it was my dream job. Like I looked at it and I was like, like you said, this job is perfect for me. It there's is. no way there's another candidate out there who is more qualified to do this job than me. I agree. And I, I felt like and that's I really believe that. And it's a lot of times I don't have that confidence in myself. I think like, oh, there's got to be someone else. I'm not, you know. I don't need to be the best. Like you try to like tamper your own expectations. So you don't get too disappointed. But this one, I was like, this, this has to be mine. It's and so right I think fit. the pursuit of it, and I'm a very competitive person, like knowing I wanted it. And like, I just, it just, you know, made me leap forward. And the great thing was my, you know, obviously you have a family and it's not all about what you want at all times. My husband was able to continue working for his company from home in Buffalo, which made the decision so much easier. I'll tell you, I, I've kind of went through the same deal. I mean, not, in terms of your field, but and it's the other way around. Actually, it's the same way around. My wife, we've were lived in Buffalo, both of us, our entire life. And she got afforded an opportunity to move down to Florida because of work, transfer, promotion. And I was able to keep my job remotely and still move to Florida and, and keep my job in Buffalo. So you're 100% right. It is. And we have a son, too. I mean, he's a little older than your kids. But it is. It is a family decision. It's not always about yourself. But in, again, in this case, it just feels like. The world would have been right if you didn't come back to Buffalo and take this job. I just, that's how I feel about it. Before we wind down, because I got something at the end, and I didn't tell you about this ahead of time, and I did that on purpose, but I want to talk about the Bills Embedded series. I really in, have enjoyed that immensely, the four parts, and then there's another one out now. Well, tell me a little bit about that process. I mean, not, I've, I watched the finished product, like all Bills fans, I've enjoyed it very much, but just the process that goes into making something like that. Yeah. I mean, it consumes you a little bit. It's, I want it. My goal with everything that I do, it, you know, especially working here now is to make bills fans feel like they're really getting something out of it. I, I, I'm not a bills fan the way that I was before I started working for the team. Cause you just can't be, 
but I, I am still a Bills fan and I want, I know what, I guess what fans are looking for. So I guess, you know, whenever I get positive feedback and people say it made me cry or made me proud to be a fan, like that's exact, that's all I want. That's all I can ask for is, is to make this fan base proud. So it's, I go into everything thinking like, what are fans going to respond to? What do they want to know more about? And then, you know, for this one, it's just trying to keep organized because we shot for months and thinking like, what's going to fit into which episode? And it's just a lot of spreadsheets and outlining and, you know, just and again, timing, like figuring out, you know, what what players are doing what and being there at the right time to capture it. So I feel like as a Bills fan, the objective of having a series like Embedded is to get fans excited about the team, you know, to re-energize you during this time of year. It's the perfect time. And. I really enjoyed it a lot. Was it a concerted effort? I'm sure you've been asked this to drop those first four episodes, first four episodes all at once, as opposed to maybe releasing one one day, one a couple days later, one, you know, down the road, like an HBO weekly series style where this was more like Netflix. Bam, here's your season. Let's get after it all at once. Was that how much thought went into that? Was was there was that 100 percent you're going to do it that way or did you consider having it released periodically? So I'd love to say that there was like an absolute science behind the decision to do it the way we did. But honestly, we're kind of experimenting with it. Um, we debated, do we do a free agency episode and release it, you know, a week after free agency and then do a draft episode a week after the draft. And the marketing team kind of said, well, it's tough to keep people energized over that four month period to think, OK, another embedded is coming, but it's a month in between, you know, to I agree. Keep, like the uh, momentum going. So we thought, okay, release them then after, you know, mini camp, which puts you, puts you pretty much in July, which is our lowest traffic month. I mean, 4th of July week, like nobody is, people, everyone's interested in the bills at all time, but it's just, you're on vacation. Even I am like not checking the website, you know, that week or whatever. So right. it seemed like, do we want to premiere it that week and then do weekly up until training camp? Because once training camp starts, embedded, though I hope people are still watching it now, is much less relevant because you want to hear about the training camp storylines. So that was where the Netflix idea came in and we had no real data to back it up. Like, is this going to work? What do we do? And we just thought, you know, let's try it and see how it goes. One last thing. And then we're going to wrap up with something here. I'm going to speak on Michelle's behalf. Okay. Because if there's one criticism of the embedded series, and this drives me absolutely up a wall, and I can't imagine how much it drives you up a wall are when fans complain because it's not critical enough or something like that. Let me speak first, and then I'm going to let you get after it. Hey, idiots out there who are saying that, and I'm saying this, not Michelle. I'm calling you an idiot if you're complaining about that. This is a team production. If you have your, you're promoting your brand. If you own a merchandise company and you put out a series of videos where you're criticizing yourself, what service are you doing to your brand? This is a brand. You're telling stories. And by the way, they are good in-depth stories. But of course, they're not going to sit there and look for negative things to say about the team. Why would somebody affiliated with the Buffalo Bills talk negatively about the team? What do you want to have a, uh, an hour long feature about a player that they tried to trade away and couldn't they couldn't pull the trigger on it because they couldn't get anything for him? I mean, come on. That's probably my biggest pet peeve. And I can only imagine that it's got to be your biggest pet peeve as well. Yeah, it, it drives me a little crazy. I understand it to a point. But on the other hand, I'm like, what incentive would Brandon Bean have to let me or anybody else for that matter sit in his office and watch him do it like, you know, every single moment of his job and then put out there, hey, he screwed this up. 
Right. Like, why would he ever want me? And why would, as a team, would we want to show that? Should I be following the players around, waiting for them to cheat on their wives? Like, not <laughs> saying they do that. That's just an example of, you know, like, right. what do you really, and don't you want to see something that's going to make you excited about the team? It, and on top of that, we are more critical, or not, not even critical, we show more real things than a lot of other teams do. Like, watch what the Chiefs are doing. It's like a marketing video of, like, our coach talking about how great it is to go away to training camp and then a practice with a couple of beautiful shots and then a great practice today. One, two, three chiefs, you know, like for us, we show McDermott talking, coaching guys and telling them, Hey, you screwed this up. Like if you watch, he's, he's talking to Ed Oliver in that one in episode yeah. four yep. and telling him, Hey, you know, watch it, you know, whatever he says to him. I, I should know. I should have the whole thing memorized by now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't want to say the parts that we didn't sh- uh, let out there though. Um, <laughs> You know, don't don't jump off sides. You know, we do show a little bit more. We showed Travis White dropping a, a pass or an yeah. interception in, in practice and the human reaction he has to that where he's pissed off at himself. How pretty like, are you to some of the things that don't make the error because they are negative and you're not, obviously not going to put them on the air. But I'm sure you've seen some things that are uh, not the best Bills moments for them. At no, that never, time. never. And, Oh, no never. coach McDermott. We have no footage of anybody doing anything bad. <laughs> the camera stops recording anytime that happens. So that doesn't exist. You don't have to worry about us being there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously there's stuff in, in Brandon and uh, you know, the coaching staff watch all the episodes and very rarely do they make us take anything out. It's always something that's like, Hey, we don't want to show that cadence. Right, because you know, it could be a competitive, competitive advantage yeah. to the other team. But sure, they could easily say, "Hey, don't show, don't show a guy dropping a pass or an interception. Don't show coach straightening somebody out." But they they rarely, if ever, make us take out anything. It's always a competitive advantage thing. Well, I really enjoy watching it. I think it's very well done. Here's how we're going to end. Okay, typically I have an athlete or a sports media person on, and I do a little mini lightning round, and I ask them a series of random questions out of nowhere. Not a lot of deep thought required. Just whatever the first thing that pops in your mind. That's, that's dangerous with me. Oh God. You're in this. You're doing this. I got me a multi-time sports Emmy winner on this podcast. So you're getting the start treatment as well. We're Is it doing a dis it right or now. dat or do I actually have to? Oh, yeah, uh... no, you're going you're gonna to think. You're <laughs> okay. going to think. Seeing you don't know what's coming. That's what I love about it. It's called the mini lightning round. I'm just going to ask you a bunch of things. So let's go. We'll start right here. Favorite all-time athlete? Favorite all-time athlete? Yes. Now, it's tough because I know that you, you're you a fan of a handful of Buffalo Bills, but you can only pick one, man. Oh. Only one. Who you got? Jeez, Louise. I, it's got to be Bruce Smith, I guess. Bruce Smith? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, Steve Tasker, honestly, would be, but he would be like, if you make me your favorite all-time athlete, yeah, I'll never talk to you again. So <laughs> I loved him and I still do, but Bruce Smith. Yeah. I'll, I know it's a lightning round. He is the one Buffalo Bill that my hands were sweating so bad the first time I met him. Steve Tasker? No, no, Bruce Smith. Oh, Bruce Smith. I met him not as p- before like Four Falls of Buffalo. He was at uh, inside the NFL taping and he was downstairs and I was like, oh my God. And like, I couldn't even say my name. I, it was, I was a younger producer at the time. Let's go off the track a little bit before we get to more of these. Are there other athletes that you've either interviewed or been around where you're like, holy crap, I can't believe I'm sitting here talking to this person or... That you got really extra nervous or be pretty much poised when you talk to all, all these athletes? Or just Bruce? Yeah, Bruce would be the one. And it wasn't even like I was interviewing him. It was like when I'm working, I don't get nervous about meeting people. Sure. It was a, I was going down there totally as a fan just to meet him for the first time. And that, and when I, when I met him again to interview him, I was, it was no issue. It's funny. 
Yeah, I'm in work mode. I guess I just don't really get nervous. Okay. What's a nice relaxing activity that you like to do for yourself that has zero to do with your job? Nice relaxing activity. Jeez. Uh, God, I should be faster. <laughs> you can edit out all the pausing while, while <laughs> I think about what I like to do for myself. Uh, uh, if you only knew with some of the guests <laughs> I've had on how many minutes I have chopped off during this segment. I will say... And not to get graphic or anything, a hot bubble bath, man. I am. I love just a hot bath. And just, yeah, that that would be my, my favorite, most relaxing thing to do. For okay. Sure. Favorite city that you have or, visited? Walking. I also, I love walking. walking late at night. Yes. I need to walk with you. You can see I've had too many yes. chicken wings. Just walking with music and just letting the world. That's another thing. I just, yeah. Okay. Okay. That's good. Favorite city you've ever visited? New Orleans. Okay. Who was your first celebrity childhood crush that you can remember? Luke Skywalker. <laughs> I loved Luke Skywalker. That's the first. There are many more, but he was the first. What movie have you rewatched probably more than any other one? Hmm. I want to say probably like Shawshank Redemption is because that's one of those ones that you watch every single time that it's on. That's I don't know if I've seen it beginning to end the most, but yeah, that's up there. That's my wife's favorite movie, too. Yeah. And I don't even know if it's my favorite. I've probably just watched I'll it more. We watch it, yeah. too. Sure. Name a TV game show that you think if you got on it, you could potentially dominate, whether it's a current show or a past game show from your childhood. Hmm. Family Feud. Family Feud? Yeah. Okay. You're on stage here at karaoke. And in this world, you're an awesome singer. You're the best one in the bar. Wherever you're at, everybody's... Ex- that is this world, man. What are you talking about? Let's go. I got the microphone already. I was just going to say, you you got a mic, but instead of talking to me on this podcast, you're about to go up there, put a selection on, and you're about to get after. You're about to start singing. Four non-blondes, what's up? There it is. Fans are going to get into it. That's my song. That's my jam. Shout out to my friend Tiffany, who always sings it with me. All right, last couple here, and I know it would be almost impossible to imagine you doing anything else. I can't imagine you doing anything else. But let's just say that you never got involved in this industry or you did. And very early on, you realized that it was just something that was not going to work for you. And you had to do something else to to make a living or or something else to satisfy you in your life. If that would have been the case, what do you think you would have ended up doing? It's tough. I love what I'm doing, obviously. I can't even imagine doing anything else. Um, aside from a job that would pay me to travel around and sample five-star hotels and all that they have to offer, I think it would have to be something in animal rescue Okay. or based on the experiences that I've had with what I do. Like one of the greatest things I get to do is put athletes in touch with, you know, struggling families or sick kids. So working on at a foundation, either an athlete's foundation or another one that helps sick kids and helps their families. I think that would be the most gratifying for sure. Two more here. If Twitter were to send you a message that they got a new policy, you can have all the followers that you have right now, but they're going to strip you away of every person that you follow except for one. You can only keep one, whether it's a person or a handle, an organization. That's it. That's all you got. Who would be that one Twitter handle that you would have that you would follow? Like underneath your name, it says following. It only has the number one. Who is it? I mean, you got to go Kim Pagula, right? Yeah. Yeah, you do. Well, <laughs> if you you're do. me, you do. If, if, if you're Michelle, you definitely do. For you can't choose between the Bills and the Sabres if you're me. 
Right. And, you know, Kim is just someone that I admire incredibly, uh, you know, as a woman in the industry. And I just think she's an awesome person. She's fun. She's caring. And she, you know, she's the boss, man. Yeah. Liter- literally for me. But I think for all of us, she's she's the boss. So. Yeah, she's good, man. That's a good one. <laughs> all right. Last question here. The same one I ask all my guests. You could have three dinner guests, any era, any point of history, dead or alive. Doesn't matter. Three people. At your dinner table, you're going to have some food, maybe a bottle of wine, a couple of drinks, whatever have you. Three people. Who you got? This is an impossible question. Um, and it's something that I should have prepared because <laughs> I think it gets asked of a lot of people. And I've always, even when I hear other people get asked, I'm like, I never even think in my own head who I'd pick because it's too hard. Um, I'm going to have to go with an athlete. I'm going to go LeBron James. Because I just think he's so interesting sure. and, you know, sneaky, hilarious. Very sneaky, hilarious. Yeah. I got to have a woman. Um, of course. As much as I admire Kim Pagula because she's a boss, I'm going to pick Hillary Clinton. And I'm not trying to get political on anybody, but I just think she's a very interesting woman. She's sure. had a ton of different experiences and knows a lot of crap. Um, she's sure. got dirt on everybody. I want to hear it all. <laughs> I want her to have some whiskey. Yeah, I was going to say, get, get maybe her, some margaritas. I don't know. Whatever her drink of choice is. And, and I'd, love, I'd love to hear what she has to say. Unfiltered Hillary <laughs> would be a lot of fun. Yeah, it would. Um, I want to go somebody creative. Um, uh, either a writer, like an actor. Um, you know, I just finished a documentary on... And this seems like such an obvious answer that maybe a boring answer, but um, Steven Spielberg, I just finished his, I, it had been on the DVR forever, just finally got through a documentary on him. And then I'm also watching those CNN docu- documentaries, the movies. Mm-hmm. I've, been, I've been watching those lately. And I just think me too. his experience in Hollywood and, and the stories that he would have, I think I'd really, I'd really love to sit down with him, bring him into the group. That's a good one. You know, I said that was the last question, but actually I lied because- I have you on the podcast and I'm sure there's a lot of girls and young women out there that want to emulate you and do what you do with their lives when they get older. For those people out there, and maybe they're listening right now, or maybe their dad is listening or their brother or something, and they're going to want them to hear this. What advice would you give them to go out there and achieve those goals that they're having that you've been able to achieve in your career to this point? apply, put yourself out there. I mean, you heard me say I almost didn't even apply for this job because I thought I was unqualified. Right. And I feel like that's advice I've seen a lot of people give. So I'm just kind of repeating what other people have said. So many times women think I'm not qualified to do this. And men think I'm, I'm qualified to do everything and anything. Right. Even if I don't have the experience required, we get, I get applications from men all the time who don't have the, however many years experience we've asked or relevant experience. And they're like, hey, I'm going to shoot my shot and see what happens. And I think as women, we feel like we have to be overqualified to be considered for a job. So I say whether, you know, if you have any sort of relevant experience or even if you don't, it's not stopping a man from doing it. So put your application in, make the phone call, make the connections and, and shoot your shot. You know, I'll tell you what, for all the fun banner that we've had during this interview, that's really good, sound, strong advice for sure. All right, everyone, give Michelle a follow on Twitter at ChelsGZ. I'm going to put that link in the show notes. And, of course, check out all the great work Michelle continues to do with PSC. I'm blown away by it all, man. I really, truly appreciate you coming out, taking your time. I know you're very busy, so to hook up with me finally, because we've been trying to get together for a while, so this finally was able to work out for both of us. I really, truly appreciate you coming on and doing the show. 
hey, I'd love to be here and I'm going to take my kids to go get some ice cream. So good day for me. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for another episode of the Moranalytics podcast. Big thank you again, Michelle Girardi Zumwalt. Such a big fan of hers. That was a big thrill for me. Michelle is, without question, one of the best storytellers in the business today. Period. End of story. No question about it. I'm a big fan. So that was a thrill. Thank you very much, Michelle. Appreciate you. Coming up on Friday's episode, as this airs right now, not sure who my guest is going to be, but I will be joined by somebody. And I do know at least three things for sure that will be discussed on Friday's episode. The Buffalo Bills are closing out their preseason on Thursday night at home against the Minnesota Vikings. Pretty much a meaningless preseason finale. Actually, as far as I'm concerned, every NFL preseason game is meaningless. But we'll have at least some things to come out of that that will be talked about. Also, I finally finished watching all 11 seasons of Cheers on Netflix. Never watched it back when it was originally on in the 80s and early 90s. I can't believe I'm saying that right now, but it's true. Ditto for Seinfeld, which we discussed a couple months ago. So I got plenty to say on Cheers. And then last but not least, this week sometime I'm dropping my fall 2019 Buffalo Chicken Wing Power Rankings 1 through 60. I did 1 through 40. A couple of months ago, I added 20 during this recent trip to Buffalo. I went to 20 new spots. Many of you, if you're regular listeners to the show, you already know all about that. Anyway, I'm releasing that this week. I'm sure there'll be plenty of feedback. There certainly was last time. I expect more of the same, and I'll explain exactly where some of these new places slot in and why. So be on the lookout for that. If you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and change that right now iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever future award-winning podcasts are found, go to any of them, subscribe to this podcast. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Pamoran Tweets. Constantly having podcasts, news, information, upcoming topics, upcoming guests, all that stuff on my Twitter. Again, that's at Pamoran Tweets. It's an exciting time of year, folks. It really is. Bill season's basically here. Sabres are just around the corner. Plenty to talk about in the coming weeks and months. I'm going to have a lot of great guests on, just like I always do on this podcast. Thank you very much for listening. I truly appreciate each and every single one of you. I'll be back. Brand new episode on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.